Good to see all of you. Hope you're all doing well today. So yeah, we're concluding this series called Disconnected. And today is this idea that sometimes we find ourselves in life where we're disconnected from ourselves. I recognize that's weird to say, because how could you be disconnected from yourself? That sounds like we entered the matrix or some weird thing, right? Like it sounds strange. And yet it's a very real thing. So I want to illustrate what that means uh, just by maybe sharing, and not by maybe, I will, sharing a regrettable story from my own life. Um, to, to give you an example of this is kind of how this looks and this is what happens with some of us So many of you know that a few years ago. I was in grad school uh, Working towards a counseling degree finishing that up and during that time um, I was really busy. I was really busy and I know a lot of you really busy all of the time So this isn't like my effort to go back and complain about an era of life But for me that was like a uniquely stressful period. I was working here full-time. I also uh, was working in a behavioral health clinic uh, doing counseling as an intern there for 20 hours a week. And then in addition to going to grad school and writing papers and doing classes and all that stuff all at the same time. And so during that season, it just felt like there weren't enough hours in the day. Have you ever had that moment where you're looking at your week and, you're, and you start each week almost with this idea of saying, right, how do I get to the end of this week with my sanity intact? I can't even look beyond that. Like you're just, you're just rolling with it, trying to figure out how do I do what it's in front of me? What do I do? How do I take care of it? So I was really stressed out. Uh, loved what I was learning, loved what I was engaging, loved all the things I was involved in. It was just a lot of things. It was during that time that I started to find myself uh, experiencing insomnia in my life for the very first time. I don't know if any of you guys have ever dealt with any of that, but if you don't sleep for a day or two, you start to get weird and it's a difficult thing. And that started to happen to me where I couldn't sleep. And part of the reason why was I'd go to work and I'd be engaged in all the stuff that was happening here. And then I'd get home and I'd go, okay, I need to be a dad and I need to be a husband, you know, and whatever semblance of that I can, I can do right now. And then once my kids would go to bed, I'd pull up a chair to my dinner table and then I'd write papers, you know, until like, I push period in the middle of the night sometime and then I'd go lay down in bed and be like, all right, sleep. And my head was like a circus. So I couldn't fall asleep. So I was stressed and I was tired. You know, if you go through a period of being stressed out, being tired and being uncertain for long enough, it can start to play itself out in you as frustration or apathy. This can just start to become a part of your life. This was typified or exemplified by, a, by one moment in particular. I was in a meeting here at Casas. And we were facing some, we were wrestling through some problems and some different things that were going on. And we we're trying to, to come up with some solutions to that. We had a meeting with a couple of people in the room where we were talking, okay, so with that, what are the details we need to know? And what are the logistics? And, and what, what are some plans we can make? And what are some things we can do here? And how do we go about this? And these are all really important things. It was during that meeting that I must have zoned out at one point in time. And I found myself just staring off at a bookshelf and just tapping my fingers. And the person leading the meeting stopped the meeting and he said, Ryan, are you with us right now? Just as like a kind way of cueing me back in. And without skipping a beat and a deadpan expression, I looked him straight in the eyes and I said, I mean, I would be, but this is just so dang boring. <laughs> that happened, friends. In a meeting at a place where I work with people. Like this wasn't in my head. This was out loud. Everybody in the room paused. Because this is not normal. Like, it's very uncharacteristic. Like, I would not normally do this. Very, very uncharacteristic. And everybody paused and looked at me as if to say, did he just say that? Did that moment just happen? And then I, like, suddenly snapped back to reality. And that moment was like, did I just say that? Did that moment just happen? Have you ever had that where it's almost like an out-of-body experience where, like, who was that? that just did that because that really just happened and I don't know what to do about it now, right? That's the thing that occurred. And here's the crazy thing 
Oh, and just so that you know, that immediately followed a conversation with my supervisor and some other good things. Just because you should know that that kind of thing happens around here if those moments ever happen. Here's the crazy thing. I found, like, in that moment, I, I cared about everything that was being talked about. I was one of the people that called this meeting and brought the people together because it was something that mattered deeply to me. I cared a ton about this. I cared about the logistics and, de logistics and details being discussed at that moment because I wanted this to move towards a good solution. I wanted to figure out what the right thing to do, and I wanted, like, a, I wanted a good way to move forward. And above it all, it's because I want to do things well because when we do things well as a church, part of what that does is it helps us love people in Christ really, really well, and it's my heart. It's what I care about. And so I cared about all of these things really, really deeply, and yet nobody experienced that guy. Because when you find yourself stressed out, like, don't get me wrong, the best of me... The best of me would have sat there and been like, I'm fully engaged, I'm in this, I'm with you guys, I care, I'm partnered, and, and we're moving through this. But the best of me didn't show up to that meeting. The best of me wasn't even showing up to my life that day. The truth of the matter is, is despite it was something that I deeply cared about, the people in the room experienced me as saying, you guys don't really matter and what you're talking about is dumb. That's it, that's what, what they experienced. I hate that that happened and yet it did. Again, you ever have yourself, find yourself in that moment where you go, who was that just now? My wife jokes around with me and says, I didn't know that that was a thing you could do until I became a parent. Because that's where she sees it sometimes. There are these moments that start to happen. Who was that? What just happened to me? See, these are the moments in our lives when we find ourselves recognizing, I'm starting to become a little disconnected from myself. It's like the most honest version of you isn't showing up to your life anymore, and some other version is just kind of making it through or getting by. If you're a student and you've been in distant learning, you might know what this is like. It's that moment where you're so worn out by just like trying to do all these things by yourself in your house that you've gotten to the spot where you will look honestly at your parents and say, I don't care about my GPA, I don't care about school, I don't care about my future, and I don't care about my grades or my life. You do. The best of you normally does, and all of that really matters to you, but in those moments and in these things, it can get to a spot where you become a little bit disconnected. This is where for us as parents in the room, right? You find yourself over this last year, maybe your kids, they haven't been living and thriving in this last year, and it's been difficult, and maybe distract their distractions are higher in your house, or things are more destructive or disruptive or whatever all that is, and you find yourself trying to engage as a parent in ways where you could step back and be like, Oh, man, did I make it through that day? And who was that person? Who said that? Did I just say that? Was that me? Almost like you're looking at your life saying, what just happened, right? Or in your workplace. Maybe some of you are going, if I have one more Zoom conference call, I swear it's going to suck the last bit of energy out of me that I have left because I'm just tired and worn out by it. Or you're a supervisor who's looking at a group of people trying so hard to motivate them during a season that's been so difficult to motivate them, but it's costly and it matters. And you're starting to judge people and you're starting to get frustrated and the worst of you is starting to come out in a way where you're like, what's happening to me? This is what it is to be disconnected from ourselves. Or one that impacts all of us in some ways. Maybe for you, it's COVID precautions and all the different things and cases rising and you find yourself looking, being like, why won't they do this? And why isn't this person doing that? And why do these people insist that this must happen and this isn't happening? And what's going on in all of that? You're starting to look at people as the other. You notice you're starting to judge people in ways that a year ago, if I were to like replay that moment for you, you'd go, who is that? I don't even know that person. How did this happen? How did it get here? Sometimes along the way in our lives, if we navigate stresses and things, we become a little disconnected from who we really are, from the best of us, from the things that really matter to us. 
See, the best of you knows here and now, and I mean this, not, not the best of you that can strive to do better. I don't mean that. Just the honest truth. The best of you right here and right now knows that life is a precious gift given by God, meant to be fully lived. You know that that's true. It's in you. Your wise mind and heart and head, who you, the best of who you are, it knows that. The best of you knows that the heart of Christ is to love both your neighbor and your enemy. The best of you knows that. That thing inside of you, it knows that. The best you seeks to let others know you care before you demand that they know what you know. Right? You, you, you understand that. You've learned that along the way. That's in you. The best you knows that people make mistakes and that life is inherently uncertain. So we have to have grace for ourselves at moments and times and we have to ultimately just kind of trust in faith the things that we don't know or won't know because we can't control it all. The best of you knows that, has that, has gained that wisdom and understanding and things along the way. The best of you knows all of that and then some. The best of you could write a book about all that it knows and all that you're aware of right now. But sometimes we become disconnected from that, don't we? Sometimes we find ourselves living our lives through a year where we go like, who was that person and what happened? So friends, I want to share a moment of good news with you. And the good news is this, no matter how disconnected you might feel and no matter what disconnected moments you may have walked through in your past, the truth is the best of you, this person that God has created and shaped and made that's been living this life that is yours, it's all still there with you. And I say that because this isn't a moment where it's about a hill to climb. This isn't a moment where it's about be a better person and do a better thing. It's not about a moment where it's like, so there's a finish line and you're not working hard enough, so try harder. That's not going to help you. It's not that. What I'm trying to tell you, the good news is, is that all of that isn't locked away in a room somewhere. All of that isn't lost somewhere in a past part of your life or contained somewhere in a future you haven't gotten to yet. It's here in the seat with you right now. The best of you is still there. Jesus is still with you. God is still moving, shaping, molding you. And you are alive in here. The best of you is still sitting right here in the seat that you occupy at this moment, whether you're in person or at home. And I hope that that's an encouragement to you. It's there. Sometimes we just lose touch with it. So what would happen if we took a moment at some point today to pause and to recollect some of that and to resonate in that, bring it to our lives as we take a step forward here? You know, as we get ready to explore a passage this morning, let me share some more good news with you. If you feel like something's wrong with you or you're not doing this well enough or you're not navigating life well enough because you've become disconnected, it's not really true. You are in great company in this room. You're also in great company throughout history. Do you know that the disciples experienced this? Take a moment and think about that. The people who followed Jesus around, who heard firsthand his teaching, whom he empowered in extraordinary ways, who planted and like began the entire thing that we know of as the church and are the reasons that we're probably even sitting here at this moment, right? They, like, they started that whole thing and were kind of like the early church fathers, like the disciples themselves, these followers of Christ, they, they experienced the same thing. The Bible tells us moments about it. We get to learn from one of those in Luke chapter 9. And so if you have your Bibles, turn there this morning. We're going to start at the very beginning as we navigate just through a whole host of things in Luke 9. Jesus does this. It says, verse 1, he called the 12 together, 12 disciples, and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. It's a big deal. This is a new moment. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not even have two tunics, meaning don't even pack a change of clothes. Just go, take what you got. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there, the next day, depart. Verse five, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. 
And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Let's unpack what happened here, because I, I don't want us to, to lose sight of it. So Jesus gathers the 12 disciples. And at this point, they've been following him around. They've been learning a bunch. They've been hearing his teachings, watching him do extraordinary things. And he goes, hey, guys, it's your turn, and you're going to go off on your own. You're going to go do this without me, right? With in spirit, but like not present, not physically there in that moment, the way it has been this last year. You're going to go do this. And don't pack a bag. Like, don't worry about any of that stuff. What you got on right now, that looks great. Head on out. Go to surrounding communities and towns and places and people and go and minister. He tells them what their objective is in verse 2. Go and proclaim the news that the kingdom of God is here, the good news of the kingdom of God, and heal people. If you don't know what the kingdom of God is, it's an expression that ultimately is talking about heaven colliding with earth. Not in a physical way where we don't need to run like some apocalyptic movie. It's talking about the very fact that God so loves you and that you can have a relationship with him and then live fully in that dynamic relationship of that love here on earth right now. The kingdom of God is here, like heaven on earth. It's here. And he says, go proclaim that and heal people. Go to the hurting, the sick, the broken, the struggling, and heal them. Go minister to people and take the good news with you. And don't worry about packing your things. You're going to need to step out. Just step out in faith. Go wherever it is that they, they want you to go. And when you get there, stay the night. Wherever you land, sleep there. The next day, get up, leave, depart, and go somewhere else. We can all look and be like, oh, this is really interesting. I want you to think about it like real honest people for a moment, though. What if I were to look at you right now and be like, friends, as part of Casa's church, as followers of Jesus Christ, here's what we're going to be doing today and tomorrow and into this next week. I want you to go to Casa Grande. I want you to go to Sierra Vista. I want you to go to Benson and all the surrounding towns and areas. Don't worry about packing a bag. Don't worry about bringing anything with you. Just go minister to people and whoever you minister, sleep at their house. And then the next day, leave and go do it again. Sleep at everybody's house. Like, and just trust them. They'll feed you. You don't even need to worry about it. How many of you, you start stressing out if I started to do that right now? Many of you would be like, I wouldn't stress out. I'd just be like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, that's crazy and weird. And it's going to get strange because it would in our culture. We have to understand for them, it's not that strange. See, we're part of an individualistic Western culture that's very much about like, how does this impact me and how do I feel and what is this? They were part of an Eastern collectivist culture that really saw the value of the community at large as what's most important and all the individuals contained within it. And so hospitality was everything. Hospitality wasn't a suggestion, it was a full-on expectation. This is why you're able to read about Jesus traveling from town to town and places to place, and they're always in somebody's home or doing something. Like, it's not just some magical moment that would have occurred. It's because to turn somebody away in that culture that, was, that needed hospitality or that came to your door, even if they were a stranger, was not just to make a statement about them, but a statement about you and your lack of care about your community and your lack of openness and your selfishness and all these things. It would be an insult and a shame-based moment for the community at large about you. So people didn't do that. It was very natural and normal to like go and be taken in by people. But Jesus, so, so he encourages them, go out. And so wherever you go, stay. Let them open their doors to you and eat there and do that stuff. And then go the next day to somebody else and minister and heal and bring blessing to wherever you go. But he acknowledges, this might go south though. This might get a little tough. And he acknowledges that in verse five. He says, but if a town that you go to does not receive you, right? So if they reject you, well... If that's the case, then what's he tell them? He says, leave the town, and as you go, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Which doesn't make any sense to us. Because for us, when was the last time you had like an argument with somebody, or a, you know, somebody judged you is what I should say, or somebody really condemned you, and after that, you walked away, and you just started brushing dust off your shoes, and you're like, ha-ha, 
Like, we don't think that way. That doesn't happen. In this culture, though, this phrase means something. I want to unpack that this morning. There's two potential interpretations for what Jesus is getting at here. And both are equally valid. This is one of those moments in the Bible where just because we're not a part of that culture and that history, like, it's hard to tell. So I'm going to share both with you because they both have a kind of point in the same direction. When it says, shake the dust off your feet, the first interpretation is this. There is an ancient Jewish custom that would have been fully alive in this era, in this time, that for the Jewish people, upon, if they had been traveling abroad or traveling to a different country or culture, upon returning back to the Holy Land, right, the land of Israel, before they entered back into that holy ground, so to speak, they would brush all the dust and things of their travels and stuff off of them, almost like a symbolic gesture of, I will not take that which is profane into the holy. Now, if you're lost in that like, language or theology or whatever, all that that really means is that as the Jewish people were entering back into their land, whatever they got on them or took with them or, or experienced out there that they didn't want to take back with them into their everyday lives, where they didn't want to become a part of who they were and what they did, they brushed it off. It's like a symbolic moment to say, like, no, I'm not, I'm not taking this with me right now. So what Jesus is essentially saying here is that if you go to minister to someone in a different town or a different city and they don't show you hospitality, which ultimately is them judging you, this isn't a disagreement moment. This is a condemnation moment. This is them judging you and full-on rejecting you. Something about you, they're, they're looking at you as a lesser human being to do this. That's why it's a difficult moment. So if they do this and they don't show hospitality and receive you, what he's saying is don't take that moment or their judgments with you. Brush it off. Dust off your feet. And what's he say? Turn and keep on keeping on. Go to the next town. Go to the next place. This isn't about you. This is about their judgments. This isn't about you. This is about the things that they've cast on you. This isn't about you. This is about their lack of hospitality and what that means for them, right? If it turns ugly, don't worry about this. Now, here's the truth. In our best of selves, our best of moments, when we're fully connected to who we are, that's not that hard. You can go, oh, I see that this isn't about me. This is a difficult moment. It's not easy, but I can see that and walk away. You're disconnected. It starts to get hard, doesn't it? it? Starts to become a tense moment, a difficult thing to navigate. First interpretation. Here's the second. Second interpretation was this: uh, during this whole, and this is this is true even now. There's a thing in Jewish history called the Mishnah, right? So it's basically Jewish commentary uh, that was written between what 200 BC all the way through 200 AD. So a span of roughly what 400 years. That's this Jewish rabbinic commentary. And in the Mishnah, uh, one rabbi, his name is Rabbi Yosef ben Yoezer, writes the Hebrew form of the following words. And I'll read this to you. He says this, right? And this is from Jesus' era. In fact, this is two centuries before Christ that this was written as Jewish commentary for the people. He says, let thy house be a meeting house for the wise and powder thyself in the dust of their feet and drink their words with thirstiness. See, in this case, the idea of dust isn't a negative thing at all, is it? It's a very positive thing. The idea of dust and your rabbi and taking the wisdom, somebody who's wise and letting it powdering yourself with the dust of their feet. What this is referencing is if you were a Jewish rabbi and you were walking along, what would happen is all of your disciples followed behind you. You see this and you'd walk and you'd teach and you'd lead and you ask questions. And then as they followed you, essentially the dust that you kicked up along the way in that journey would come to powder the feet of your disciples. And so in this particular case, when it refers to dust, what it would be looking at, it's saying, that's all the accumulated wisdom and goodness and things that have been imparted to you in the journey that you've had with your rabbi, in the journey that you've accumulated and amassed along the way. So if Jesus were using this interpretation, what he'd ultimately be saying to the people is this. When you go into a town and they condemn you, not they disagree with you, mind you, but they condemn you, 
and they judge you and it gets really difficult, don't take that moment with you. What you should do though is dust, or you know, wipe the dust off your feet. What it's essentially saying is leave the goodness and the collective wisdom that you brought with you, whatever good you imparted, leave it there. Trust that God will do something with that and that ultimately this is their decision to reject you as you go to walk away. And don't take the condemnation upon you. Don't carry it. Don't take it with you. Either way, whichever one of these two interpretations you find to be more textually viable, both are essentially saying this. If you go somewhere and they reject you and don't show you hospitality and they judge you, don't take it personally. Don't take it upon yourself. Realize it's not about you, but more of a reflection on where they are right now and walk away to go to the next town. There's always another town. There's always another village. Both, it's all pointing at these things. That is beautiful advice, friends. I mean, think about that. In a difficult season, a difficult moment, that is beautiful advice. It's true. But that's hard when you're not connected to yourself. When you experience that kind of disconnection, where the best of you isn't the part of you that's showing up to your life at that moment, it's hard because it's hard when you put in all that effort to bless somebody or to know somebody or do something good in somebody's life and instead you encounter them and they're closed-minded and you feel rejected and judged and condemned. It's hard. We'd like to think that bounces off, but that's tough. It's hard to hear the judgments and criticisms of others and not to take them personally. Is it not? It's hard to hear somebody who looks at us as a lesser human being and not ultimately wrestle with that or struggle with that. That's tough. It's also hard to love other people when you look and you feel like everybody else is just out for themselves and there's no space for that. It's hard when you're tired and you've been navigating all of these unknowns, right? To encounter hostility in front of you. That's a difficult thing to navigate. The connected version of you, sure. The best of you, yeah, you've got that in you. But when we become disconnected from ourselves, it gets a little weird, doesn't it? So the disciples, they go out. They begin traveling around and they minister and they do all of these things. And then they come to report back. This is that moment where they're going to like debrief with Jesus. Imagine how tired you'd probably be. Because you know that was a little bit of a stressful situation to walk out and do that for the first time. I don't care how confident you were. Jesus has been the one doing this. You've been following and now you're on your own walking around making this happen. Like, that's different. Imagine how tired you'd be as you return back and how excited you'd be to be like, okay, what happened to you guys? And here's what happened to me and here's what I experienced. And here's, right, you, to share all of that. The moment they come back to debrief with Jesus, 5,000 people show up because they've heard about all this stuff that's happening and they want in. They, they, want, to, they want to experience it. They want to know what's happening and, and experience healing from Jesus and the disciples and all this stuff. 5,000 people show up. You can look and be like, that's just amazing. The word got out. That's stressful in a time when you're really tired also. Both are true. Jesus does something extraordinary. He feeds the people who are tired and grumbling at the end of the day. Miraculously so. It's an amazing story. Many of us have heard this probably at one point in time in our life. But you have to admit, that's a rough time to have that happen. And it probably was a pretty stressful situation. And then they move on from there. Nine days later, they encounter a man He's a father with a son who's demon-possessed. And he goes to the disciples and says, can you help him? And each of the disciples, remember who Jesus previously had empowered to like cast out demons and do this stuff, try and they fail. This is a big moment for them. This would be a tough situation. The man frustratedly comes to Jesus. like, I tried to get them to do it and they can't. Will you help me? And Jesus does. He helps the man. Again, beautiful story. But if you look through the perspective of the disciples, this is probably a tense situation or a harder moment or something to grapple with at the very least. Then right after this moment happens, again, this is all Luke 9. I'm just kind of walking you through some moments here. In Luke 9, 
uh, right after this moment happens, the disciples all gather together and they start to argue amongst themselves about who's the greatest, who's better than the rest of them. That's a fun conversation to have with your friends, by the way, friends. Right? Go ahead and get in an argument today at lunch about which of you is the best one at the table who's better than all the rest of you. And just watch how that begins to go. It's not great, right? They start to argue amongst themselves. They start to compare each other. There's a weird competition thing beginning to happen. And then right after that, John comes to Jesus and says, yeah, we also saw this guy, by the way, who was casting out demons in your name. And we were like, hey, you don't travel around with us. You don't have any part of us. And we told him to stop it. And Jesus looks and he says, why'd you do that, more or less? That guy's for you. He's not against you. Leave him be. This is all happening in Luke 9. The author, Luke, is trying to tell us, is he's just showing us a process uniquely of all these moments that are happening with the disciples. And it all starts with Jesus looking at them going like, I have this beautiful thing that I want to bless you with. And then I want you to go out and I want you to bless others with the life that you have and share the good news that is here and heal people, minister to others, go and do this beautiful thing. And if you encounter hostility, if things get difficult, brush it off. Know that it's not always about you. And sometimes people are having hard moments and they make their judgments and their things. Don't wear it like it's yours. There's always another town. There's another place. There's another moment, another thing. And yet what we see with the disciples is they start to devolve almost into arguing and competition and some frustration and tensions. Not that they become all bad or any of that. It's like us. They become a little bit disconnected from who they really are. And then, friends, we get to what I think might be the most ridiculous passage in your New Testament. I do. Every time I read this, I laugh. And it's just because it seems so out of the blue. And it seems so abrupt. So I want to read through it with you here. This is with Jesus and the disciples. Luke 9, verse 52 now. And Jesus sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans. Pause real quick. The Jews looked at the Samaritans like they were lesser people, just so that you know this. They worshiped on a different temple on a different mountain, and that divide caused huge differences. So much so, the Jewish people would travel all the way around Samaria so that they didn't have to enter their land, even if the shortest path to where they needed to go was right through it. They literally saw them as a lesser human being. There's massive amounts of discrimination and judgment. So, Back to this. And Jesus sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. Verse 53. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. This is the moment Jesus was talking about back in verse 5. Remember when he says, and if they don't receive you, here's what to do. That thing where he's like, this might get a little weird, just got weird. It's about to happen. And this is what we read. Because his face was set towards Jerusalem, verse 54. And when, this is the weird verse, by the way. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? As though that was their brilliant idea in the moment. Think about that. Like, pause. Can you imagine any other moment in your New Testament where you read this as like a viable suggestion from the apostles? Any other moment? Like, I think it's ridiculous. It's, I, I, can you imagine Jesus sitting there going, I'm sorry, what? What was your suggestion? Because I'm pretty sure just like three weeks ago, we had a conversation that detailed this situation explicitly in which it's not about you. And ultimately, they're probably going through something or whatever that is, but ultimately, their judgment is a reflection on either their own lack of hospitality or on their own rejection of you. You don't have to carry that with you. We're going to be okay. There's another town, another place. But they don't. They look at Jesus, and what do they say? All right, you guys are going to reject us. You Samaritans who are lower than us will now reject us. This is going to happen? Okay, we got a good solution. Let's rain down hellfire and brimstone and decimate you as an entire people group. Solved. 
Jesus, here's the submitted plan. And it's just, it's crazy to me, friends. But this is what they do. Why? Even the disciples can find themselves in a place where they become disconnected from the best of who they are. Jesus uh, responds to this, where it says he turned and he rebuked them. No, <laughs> no. We can look in this particular moment, right? And we can go, that's crazy. Those disciples lost it. That suggestion was like unreal. How did they even get to that place? But I think if we were to be really honest with ourselves, and I mean this, in our moments of truest honesty, right? Deepest honesty here. If we were really to look at our own heads and hearts and the things we say and the things we think sometimes, are we really that different? I mean, have you been there? How many of us through the stress and frustration of a political season over the course of this last year found ourselves saying or thinking, you know, the other side should go. <laughs> or we should just remove all these people from America. I've heard that. Or even here's the thing that I've heard multiple times. Those people should be shot. Sound familiar? Hey, Jesus, we got a solution here. <laughs> what if we just called upon the fire of heaven to consume them and completely obliterate them? It's like, it's not that far off, friends. How many of us through the stress and uncertainty of COVID have looked at people in our lives who wear masks or who don't wear their masks, who want things to open up or don't want things to open up and found ourselves saying, you know where those people need to go? You know what should happen to those people? Much like the same type of moment. Or how many times in the stress of this last year of you and your relationships, whether friendships, marriages, kids have had those same thoughts, those same phrases start to pop out of your mouth where you're like, who was that? What just happened? How did I get here? How do I get out of here? <laughs> right? We're not that different all the time. That's why I love the way Jesus responds. I kept waiting for some giant sermon, some huge moment to come out of this. It doesn't. I said it already, Luke 9, 55. But he turned, which I love that it lets us know that, as though Jesus was having a conversation with somebody and something was happening and they're like, hey, we got this big idea. And he turns and goes, I'm sorry, hold on for just a second. What? And he rebuked them. No, no. And then some of your Bibles will have this next piece bracketed. What that means is it's a textual variant. It's not in every early manuscript. It's in some of them. And so it's contained in there. And I want to read it today. It's this. It says, you do not know, this is Jesus' response to them, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man came not to destroy people's lives, but to save them. Friends, the disciples lose sight of the best of themselves and what ultimately matters most, and they devolve into a state of frustration where they see everybody as the other and they're frustrated. This particular moment, right? And Jesus turns and he pauses them and he goes, no, 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 no. And then he calls them back to the best of who they are to what's truly true and to what matters most in their lives. And I found myself as I was studying through this and reading through this this last week and thinking about this idea of being disconnected from ourselves, wondering, maybe that's what we need a little of right now. Maybe we need a little bit of that moment right now because some of us, to use today's passage as a metaphor, have gotten stuck in Samaria and stopped moving our way towards Jerusalem. Some of us have dug our heels into the dirt and just landed in this place where the best of ourselves isn't what's living our life anymore. And we've just kind of devolved into this place and we're stuck there. And we forget that there's actually a journey ahead of us. And there's another town, another moment, another place to keep moving to in this life that is ours to live. So what if we were to pause even here and even now today and reflect and remember some of that stuff, some of what's actually truly true of us and of what matters most here in our lives. See, whether you identify with this feeling of being disconnected from yourself or not, I promise you this next moment is for all of us. 
It is good and true for all of us as we take a moment to remember. I want to quote the bracketed portion of your Bibles. May you know the manner of the spirit you are of. May you know who you are. May you know what God has put in you. May you know what is true of you, friends. Do you realize, for out of the dust of the ground you were formed, that God breathed life into each and every one of us, and not that you would merely take on human form or have physical shape, but that you would have spirit and heart and soul and life, all of those things teeming with the love and the glory of God. Do you realize this, that that's in you, right? here and right now. Not last year, not a year ahead. Right here and right now. Do you realize he knit you together in your mother's womb? He made you uniquely. You are not the person next to you nor the person next to them, but you uniquely were shaped and made. He gave you personality. He gave you giftings and skills and abilities. He put passions and things in you, and he's developed some of those things in you. All of that exists right here and right now, that you would have that, both physicality and soul. And you've walked through moments in your life that have shaped you, that have taught you. Some of those things have been really hard. Some of those things have been really beautiful, but all of it has given you a certain kind of wisdom. There is dust upon your feet, friends, that is yours. And you have that. You get to bring that to the best of your life, the one that you get to live right now that's been breathed into you. And there's these unique moments where now you see people in ways that you didn't before and you love people in ways that you didn't before. There are people in your life that uniquely matter to you because God put them there to matter. And there are things that you uniquely care about because of how he shaped you and walked you. All of that is so important. All of that matters so deeply. It's there right here and right now sitting in the seat that you occupy in you. It's here, friends. And above all, when all else fails, we know that scriptures tell us this this one thing remains. It's love. That you are deeply and utterly, absolutely loved. That God so loves you that he would enter into our midst and take on human form to declare it at full volume to you. That God so absolutely loves you that he would die on a cross and that he would rise again so that you would know that nothing could separate you from the love of God. Not because of you, but because there's nothing he wouldn't go through or go to to grab you and to hold that love and to pour it out upon you, friends. God so loves you that he calls you son or daughter. God so loves you that he calls you his beloved. I mean, think about this, friends. And he wants to love the whole world through you, one person at a time, not because you have to, because it's in you. Because it's there in the seat you're sitting in right now, occupying your space. It's in you, friends. It's not lost. It's not trapped in a life you lived a year ago. It's not caught in a future that has yet to be realized. It is there. Because God hasn't left the building. You don't have to do anything for this to be true. It just is because he is. That's the reality of it. The world doesn't have to change. It doesn't have to get better. And it doesn't have to get worse for any of this to become true. It just is because he is. COVID doesn't have to get better or worse. Political leanings don't have to go one way or another. Nothing has to change in any specific direction for any of this stuff to be absolutely true. It just is because he is and he's put it in you. It's there. It's in you, friends. And I say this because I just feel like some of you in this room probably feel like you lost it along the way. Some of you in this room probably feel like it's locked away. Some of you in this room probably feel like you're stuck in Samaria and you've lost sight of where you're going and where you're headed and like the years just like got a brick wall in front of you. And I'm trying to tell you, that's not the life that Christ has in front of you right now. 
Because he is, not because of you, not because of whatever bad decisions you've made or good decisions you've made in the last year, not because of how connected you feel or disconnected you feel, because of him, because he is. That's the goodness and the beauty of God who anchors our existence in a powerful way. He just is. Oh man, one of my favorite, I was telling my wife this, one of my favorite things to do in life is just to see the uniqueness that God has put in people and to be like, do you see it? Do you realize the gift that that is to this world? Can I open your eyes and your heart to it? Do you know it's there? So many times in this last year, there's just a part of me that wishes you could see you sometimes the way I see you. And then it blows my mind because I'm like, what if we all saw ourselves the way God sees us? Wow. I don't know what I'd do with that. I mean, it'd be a powerful moment, friends. It is because he is the best of you that knows all of this and knows what it means to bring this into your moment right now and your tomorrow and your next year. It's right there. Christ is still doing this journey with you. God is still loving you forward. I think sometimes we just have to pause and pull it back into the frame. Pause and to let it resonate with us in a powerful way. And sometimes we need to give ourselves permission to choose the life-giving things that God has created and put within us so that we can pour life out of us I don't know what that looks like for all of you. It's probably a little different for each person, isn't it? But it's there. I think what I'm asking you to do is to partner with Christ in this next year to choose it. Not because you have to, not because there's a hill to climb, but because there's goodness for your life, friends. And if you find that goodness for your life, my belief is that it overflows into the life around you and into the community around you and to the world at large so that we as one church whose causes is part of one church that is the church can love this world in Christ in a profound way. It's the hope, is it not? Our lives right now and always, maybe you got lost along the way and you don't know where to find your, how to find your way back. Start with you. Start by loving yourself where you are, not as an act of selfishness or anything else. Love you the way God loves you. Resonate in that peace with him. Know that he's already giving you. Accept that moment for yourself. Call these passions, these giftings, these skill sets, all that stuff that God has placed within you and all that he's shaped you into mind and say, all right, there's a lot I can work with here because there is with each of you, friends. There's so much. It'll be fun to see what you do with it. It'll be fun to see what doors open up for you in the year 2021. My hope and my prayer is that you don't settle for another year of disconnection, but that each of us alone and together can take steps forward into this life as we choose to live in connection with Jesus. I think beautiful things are in store. I believe in Jesus Christ, friends, which means I think that life is available now and that the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the ways that you shape us and you mold us. Thank you for the uniqueness and the beauty that sits in this room. Thank you for the giftings and the skills and the talents that you have placed in this place. And I pray that you empower people, not because of what we have to do or must do or all the weight of burden that can come with that, God, but just of the joy of what it is to live a life alive with you. So help us to come alive this next year, God. Help us to come alive in whatever it means today in the smallest of moments to the largest of those. Give us courage. And Lord, give us patience as we go to engage in ways or seek, find ourselves in places where maybe, maybe there's condemnation at times and maybe we face the judgment of others, Lord. Teach us the grace and the compassion of what it means to brush the dust off of our feet in a way that blesses others but doesn't wear the condemnation like a cloth. Be with us. 
carry us. We love you. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, you are loved. It's good to see you, and I hope to see you soon.